welcome to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Jeff Gaudet. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're really excited to have joining us today Pete McGill, who's one of the fastest and best American Masters runners in the country. At age 50, he's run 15.02 for 5K, and he's run the 10K in 31.11. Those are phenomenal times. Uh, He's actually the oldest American to also break 15 minutes for 5K, in which he ran 14.45 on the track at the age of 49. On today's show, Pete's going to talk to us about the biggest differences and changes that he's had to make in his training as he gets older, the importance of recovery and preventative routines in the exact training philosophy that he uses, and he's also going to share some of his workouts that he uses to help maintain his speed as he gets older. And, most important, he's going to share some of the lessons he's learned along the way. That way you can learn from them and prevent yourself from making the same mistakes. As always, if you want to access any of the resources mentioned in this podcast, visit runnersconnect.net slash rc18. And if you haven't yet, also head over to our site to grab our free marathon training ebook. It's 140 pages of specific marathon advice, training tips, and lessons learned directly from the world's top marathon runners. It also contains a detailed 16-week marathon training schedule that assembles all the training theory and specific workouts so you have a perfect plan. Now, let's get on to this week's show. Hi, Pete. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to be on our podcast. We're really excited to have you. Hey, it's my pleasure to be here. Awesome. Um, so I did a brief introduction uh, before this uh, interview about who you are and some of your accomplishments, but let's tell the audience in your own words, um, you know, how you, your story in terms of how you got started running, how you progressed, and where you're at now in terms of everything. Well, like a lot of my running peers, I got started running because I was too small going into high school to do anything else. <laughs> you know, I dreamed of being a football player or a basketball player and, you know, sinking the winning shot or catching the winning touchdown, but unfortunately I was about 5'1", 102 pounds when I went into high school. (laughs) So I went out for cross country, and you know what? I loved it. Loved the sport, Uh, stuck with it through high school, took a little break afterwards, did a lot of running in my 20s, Um, you know, but like a lot of guys in my 20s, you know, it was one of those things where you trained hard, you know, everyone had your Olympic dream. You know, we all wanted to hear the crowd roar while we crossed the finish line at a big meet over in Europe, mm-hmm. but didn't quite get there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, kind of shifted into a lot of coaching. Uh, uh, didn't run a lot during my 30s, but got back into it heavily at age 39, and uh, I've been coaching and competing as a master's athlete ever since. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about your, your PRs since you've become a master, um, because they're quite impressive, um, even for... Um, somebody in their 20s, um, but let's talk a little bit about some of your recent accomplishments. Well, since turning 50, and trust me, that was a big one. You know, everyone, uh, you know, talks about, uh, you know, 40, you know, uh, uh, you turn 40, you know, you're still strong, but you know, you're still and let me tell you, you turn 50 and all the things they told you were going to happen at 40, they happen. <laughs> so I'm especially proud of the good marks I've been able to sneak in in my 50s between bouts of injuries and, you know, ageitis, which uh, hits all of us. And uh, 5K on the road, I've run 1502, uh, 10K, 3111, 
And a couple months ago, I ran a half marathon in 110.19 down in uh, Los Angeles. Wow. So I think those are pretty good marks. You those know, are, those are spectacular happy. marks. I'll brag for you because you know, that's, that's spectacular. <laughs> yeah, if you could have taken me back to when I first entered this sport, you know, at age 14, and my whole goal, you know, that first year was I'm going to break a five-minute mile. You know, like a lot of runners, you know, that five-minute barrier mm -hmm. is the thing we shoot for. You know, if you're a guy coming into high school, you want to be in distance. Well, you know, if you could have told me then that at age 50, I'd run 6.223 miles at five-minute pace, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have believed you. And, uh, you know, a lot of that is luck, and a lot of that is smart training. Great. Well, you know what? That's great. That actually probably leads right into this whole podcast. I want to talk about that smart training and, um, you know, how you're able to train and compete so well at your age um, and kind of, you know, continue to move forward. So um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, kind of how you how you train in terms of um, what are some of the unique challenges that you face um, as that you feel that you face now as a master's runner that you didn't face when you were younger that you, that you have to grapple with? <laughs> the biggest change, all of us as master's runners is we're no longer allowed to make any mistakes okay anything you know you could get away with when you're young try to get away with it now it doesn't happen you know you go out and you run you're out for a distance run you've got a schedule say long run of about 15 miles mm -hmm. and you think god i feel good today i'm going to take it 20 uh-uh you'll feel it the next day you're running quarters you know you think i'm going to hit 70 second pace you know, God, I feel good. I'm going to go 66 today. Uh-uh. You know, the next day you're going to have a pulled hamstring or, or a strained hamstring or a strained calf or, or some problem. Everything you thought you could get away with when you're young, you know, not getting enough sleep, not eating, you know, uh, not getting a good carbohydrate replenishment right after a workout, not doing exercise and stretching after a workout. All of these things that you kind of knew you should do in principle uh, but could get away with, at this age, you can't. Everything has to be done perfect. You know, I think you probably become a much better coach if you actually run in your 40s because all the things that you always heard that you should be doing, that you should be careful about, you find out the reality of those principles because they bite you instantly. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely see that. Um, let's. Uh, what does your routine look like in terms of you know your daily routine on a microcycle of you know what your stretching, strength training routine looks like in your runs, and then as a whole, what does your training typically look like for for a normal training segment? Well, my training is a is a big mix. You know, I discarded the idea of of mileage and pace as being the barometers for sex, successful training a long time ago, and I embraced the philosophy of okay, what we're trying to actually do is build our running body, okay? We're trying to build the muscle. We're trying to build our cardiovascular system. We're trying to wire our nervous system. What workouts will, in fact, provide the stimulus that will create the adaptations for all of those? Now, of course, even starting from that, your workout schedule starts to look pretty much like a lot of other people's workout schedules. Mm -hmm. yep. Okay, but now you're, you're actually applying workouts towards a purpose. 
So volume, of course, I think is a part of any good distance runner's uh, training. Mm -hmm. And uh, but my volume, you know, I, I think, well, what do I need as far as volume? Okay, we need to work those, those slow twitch muscle fibers. It takes a lot of volume to work those slow twitch fibers. So I'll throw in a long run, you know, during the week. I don't actually do mileage. I referenced the 15-mile run earlier uh, in this podcast. I, you know, I don't go by miles. I go by, well, I got to go 90-plus minutes. Okay, it's my long run. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I want to go 120 minutes, get out there for a couple hours. I think of it more along those terms. I also try to get in volume, you know, throughout the course of the week, uh, easy morning runs. You know, uh, recovery days between hard efforts. Uh, in the long run, or I should say volume to me, which is, you know, the backbone of any distance runner's workout, isn't a week-to-week -week thing. It's getting in the miles every day, getting in the long runs for a long period of time. It's like the Colorado River carving out the Grand Canyon. That's a great you know, analogy. An old process. And too many people think, okay, this summer I'm going to do 100 miles a week. I'm going to have the volume I need to be a great runner. Wrong. You can't get your volume in a summer of 100 miles a week. What you'll get in a summer of 100 miles a week, especially if you haven't prepared for it, is a fall of 20 miles one week, no miles the next <laughs> week. Take some more miles while you're recovering from all of the you know, injuries you built up. Uh, shooting yourself up the heavy volume. Right you, des away. you described my college cross country career, so thank you. <laughs> oh, I described my college cross country career there. One of the benefits of being 51 is that I've had the uh, uh, honor of making every single running mistake that can be made. You know, anything I give you, yeah, I read about it, but the only reason I feel like I can talk about it is because I made that mistake. I figured out what to do to rectify it and what to do so that I wouldn't make it again. <laughs> so that's volume. Yep. Actually, hard um, do you mind if I uh, interrupt you for a second? Go go to volume. Uh, I guess sure. digging a little yeah. bit to the volume. Um, do you find now that since you're you've been running for such a long time and have such a lifetime uh, base of miles that you're uh, that you have to spend less time on or uh, just put less emphasis on the aerobic base because you have that you know years and years and years of, of aerobic building behind you? I'm glad you asked that. No, <laughs> not in the least. That said, I do know some runners who are like that. Uh, one of my very good friends, a uh, master's runner a few years younger than me, uh, named Sean Wade, mm -hmm. who was a uh, New Zealand, uh, mar uh, an Olympic marathoner from New Zealand, ran 210 back in the day. And he found that as he got closer to 40 after doing, you know, a couple decades of high volume, he was able to dial it back to, you know, 50, 60 miles a week with more quality orientation, and he didn't lose that aerobic base. Mm -hmm. Although I think he's actually starting to do a little bit more mile. I can probably get away with that for a few years. Mm -hmm. um, with me, a lot of the benefits go away right away. A lot of the things that it provides goes away. You know, volume is, uh, you know, it's capitalization. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, nervous system rewiring of, of how, you know, our slow twitch uh, fibers function. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's mitochondrial density. It creates a lot of things that we need. And when I try to get by with 60, with 50 to 60 miles a week, I always feel like I'm working distance or working running. When I'm running 
you know, say, and I'm using mileage totals. Uh, I don't actually count miles, but I got a pretty good idea of what I run. Yeah. When I'm running 90 to 100, it just feels like everything's popping. Like, you know, like my, my legs are turning independent of any effort of, mm -hmm. of my own. And I think most people who do a higher volume feel that way. The difference would be at this age, you have to be very careful not to run that volume. You know, by volume, I mean the distance. You have to run the, you can't run your distance workouts as hard as when you were younger. Mm -hmm. You know, I still remember one of those great summers of 100 miles a week when my buddy Andy DeConti and I went out and, you know, we never ran a mile slower than six minutes. You know, our distance runs started at six minutes and finished at about 5'10". Mm -hmm. You know, we were, we were distance demons out there. Uh, of course, that summer ended up with me going out and deciding it was time to do some speed and doing four by mile. And I thought, well, I'll just do like four by mile and 450 pace or something. And I found on my very first rep, I had to run like hell to break five minutes. And I called <laughs> the workout. I learned a lesson about just doing volume and ignoring the other parts of, of training <laughs> at, at that point. But anyway, so wait, where were we again? That's okay. We we were you. Uh, we had just finished on uh, the aerobic stuff, and we were going to move into um, kind of the, the other parts of your training program. Oh no! The, well, the one thing. Let me finish up. I go off on tangents, but I can. That's good. So when I ran at that pace when I was younger, a it was really stupid. I was training like an idiot. Both Andy and I were. We both admit it. We laugh at ourselves from that time. But it felt good, which mm -hmm. is the first excuse for doing a workout there is yeah you know everybody who does uh who makes a mistake goes but it felt good right it felt good. <laughs> it felt good when you get older you can't do that you have to say what do i have to run in order to get 100 percent benefit from this workout and the truth is i can go out there and do mileage at about 610 to 620 pace if i want which is exactly why i do it at about 720 to eight minute pace because it doesn't matter that I can do that. I get 100% benefit for what I'm looking at about 7.20 to 8 minutes at this stage in my life. So I do that, and I'm able to maintain volume without getting injured. A lot of my peers who can't maintain volume anymore are still trying to run, you know, 6-minute pace. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work at this age. It didn't work at that age, but now you can't get away with it. Right. Now that that's a great lesson, I think, um, because I, I deal, you know, as, as, a, as a coach, I deal with that all the time with, with people wanting to run faster. And you're right that it's and I you didn't click until you said it, but they always say, but it feels so good to run this faster or I can. And it's, you know, well, right. just because you can does not mean it's optimal. And, I, and I'm glad that somebody who has, you know, run so fast and, and has so much experience also has that same, you know, can can relate to that. But it is also making sure that they're doing it right. Oh, yeah. A, a simple analogy that I use for all the aspects of training. You know, if you're baking a cake, okay, there are certain ingredients you put in. Okay, there are ingredients that make that, case, that cake taste really good. You know, a dash of vanilla might be nice. Mm -hmm. But you don't empty the whole bottle in because the dash tastes good. Okay? There are certain specific ingredients that go in to building us as runners. Okay? Volume builds very specific aspects of what we're trying to do as a runner, mm -hmm. okay? To get the next benefit we're looking for. You know, to you know, if we're training slow twitch muscles, I can train them 100% running, you know, around seven-minute pace. In order to get down to where I am adequately training my intermediate fast twitch muscles, if I'm talking about training muscle, 
I got to go a lot faster. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to be probably running down around, well, I probably have to get at least to a tempo pace, mm -hmm. you know, to be adequately giving them the stimulus they need. So we're talking about getting down to around 520 pace. So between seven minute pace and 520 pace, there's a whole lot of opportunity to fatigue myself, to, to you know, use up my glycogen stores, to incur the risk of injury, you know? Mm -hmm. There's a Absolutely. whole lot of opportunity for that without any real benefit that I'm gonna get back from it. That's awesome, I'm, I'm so glad that you said that. I, I mean, I, I, I try to preach that all the time and um, I'm, I'm so glad that you agree and that you, that you feel that way because oh, yeah. you're very experienced and, and I think it's great. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's experience that allows me to actually do it now instead of just, yeah, that's a nice idea, but, man, I love finishing my runs in 510 pace. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, I used to think everybody looked at us, you know, Andy and I, when we were cruising down that street, two young guys flying along at 510 pace, you know, and we were thinking, yeah, everybody's looking and going, man, who are those guys? They're not looking at us at all. They go, hey, there's a couple joggers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> nice, I like it. What benefits you, not for you know, not for the image of what you're doing or whatever. Absolutely, that's okay. great. So anyway, um, so you know, one thing that uh, that I preach a lot with all the athletes, but masters the masters athletes I work with in general more is really working on strength work in terms of the core, the hips, the glutes, the posterior chain. Um, you know, do you do a lot of work with the strengthening stuff, and have you found that you need to do more now that you've uh, gotten older? I do very little uh, core work. In fact, the only thing I throw in are leg lifts. Um, I have yet to be convinced that it's a great benefit. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? There are a lot of things that are beneficial that I don't necessarily include, mm -hmm. but it's because we have a limited, you know, we have limited adaptive ability as runners. Mm -hmm. So. What can I, what are the things I am going to, you know, uh, prioritize in my training? And core work isn't one of them. Um, strength work, you know, interestingly, uh, you know, I recently, I'm, you know, I recently did a column, or my column for Running Times was on cross-training. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I found in looking at uh, cross-training was that, oddly enough, resistance training is one of the, few uh, types of cross-training that actually meets the specificity of a uh, training requirement. And it shouldn't. Interesting. You know, uh, specificity of training mean, meaning the, you can only get benefit for the muscles you train, so if you swim, it's not going to make you a better runner. Mm -hmm. Okay, but weight training actually did this, and I'm talking about lower uh, body training, okay. whether it was squats or lunges or whatever. It not only gave us better short-term endurance, but it also worked for long-term endurance. Um, when you think about it, that's not as odd a concept as it seems. I mean, obviously, you know, it's not like the five squats, now you're powerful and somehow that magically becomes endurance. Right. But it gives you more strength mm -hmm. for, you know, every time you, you tow off the ground, you know, every time you're going up a hill, just for your stride in general, you've got more power. You're delivering more power to your stride. Mm -hmm. So it becomes easier to maintain that stride. Mm -hmm. um, because there's a limited amount of time for training, I tend to, and I actually talked with the author of the study on this. I said, well, okay, 
but it would really be tough for me to work in big sessions of resistance training. I mean, you know, I work two jobs. I, you know, I'm a consultant for a legal firm. I'm a senior writer and comments for Morning Times. You know, I've uh, now got a contract for a running book that's due to the publisher next August. Uh, I'm a busy guy. You know? <laughs> uh, you know, my son uh, graduated high school last year. Before that, you know, I had a couple hours with him every day, whether it was his weight training to work out, he plays football, mm -hmm. uh, um, or whether, you know, whatever it was we were doing. So I said, what about doing, like, short hill sprints? What about doing downhill? sprints. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what about drills that are plyometric in nature? Would these things create the same uh, end result, the same adaptation? And he said, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, since those things also work more than one aspect, they aren't just hill sprints up and down, don't just work the power. They also help integrate, um, you know, they also help wire your nervous system mm -hmm. for better utilization of muscles. Okay, they help you, uh, you know, they help uh, teach your hamstrings to relax when your quads are flexing and all those things that make our stride uh, more efficient. Mm -hmm. So um, rather than just go into a weight room, I tend to create resistance workouts out of running. Mm -hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think it's a great adaptive approach in terms of, you know, finding what works for you, fitting within right. your time schedule. And, I, and it goes back to the, to what both you and I know a lot is that there's more than one way to skin a chicken, you know, in terms of oh, yeah. getting that type of work. And, and and I think it's great that you found what, you know, works for you in, in given everything that you have going on. I mean, I think that's, that's awesome. I'm glad that you right. shared it. <clears throat> right. And I also add, though, that you know, the most important part of my workout, and I've said this and people always go, oh, he doesn't really mean that. Oh, that's just something he's saying. The most important part of my workout is when I finish the workout, the 15 to 20 minutes after that workout, when I am doing um, certain types of stretching, whether it be, uh, you know, traditional or whether it be dynamic, whether I do, when I do little exercises, I do things like cow twirls to uh, prevent plantar fasciitis. I do heel dips to prevent Achilles tendonitis. Um, you know, various things along those lines. Plus, I make sure to get in 500 to 600 grams of carbohydrate right off the bat mm -hmm. because you replace muscle glycogen at two to 300 percent the rate in the couple hours after a workout, and uh, depleted muscle glycogen has a lot to do with how we bounce back from day to day for our training. So there is more than just the running. I didn't want to leave the impression I don't do anything. I actually do an exercise routine every day afterwards. It's just mostly focused on injury prevention, on loosening up the muscles after a hard run, and on getting glycogen back in. So mm -hmm. and, and of course, good old H2O, water, right. so that I'll be ready to run the next day. Yeah, so it sounds like the routine that you do after is more, uh, well, it is injury prevention, but it sounds like you're, and, and I actually have this philosophy too, is that you're just focusing on the trouble spots that seem that over your career yeah. have been issues, which, and I'm the same way. For me, my plantar fascia, my Achilles, and my calves are really the only three yeah. things that have ever been hurt for long term. And so I don't focus a lot on, you know, IT band stuff uh, because I've, I've never had it. And in all the miles that oh, I've I run, <laughs> I've been lucky. But um, but it sounds like what you're doing is taking that focus on the the specific the specific injuries and issues that you have and making sure that you're doing those preventative exercises. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the only problem with that sort of an approach is, you know, usually when I develop a new injury, uh, you know, my latest is Achilles bursitis, but I've had IT band syndrome at the hip. You know, I've had IT band syndrome at the knee. I've had telephomoral pain syndrome. You know, I've had uh, hamstring pulls, calf strains, Achilles tendonitis, uh, stress fractures. I've had stress fractures of the, you know, metatarsal stress fracture of the tibia, stress fracture of the fibula. Uh, <laughs> there's very little that can go wrong with your, your legs that has not grown wrong with me. And every time something happens, I create a routine to try to get over it, mm -hmm. but it usually involves a multi-tiered approach. Uh, right. And once I've actually found something that fixes the problem, I'm never quite sure what it was. So I have to add all the new exercises to my routine. It's <laughs> gotten where now I have to split up my post-run routine into like an alternating days where I do half of them one day and half of them the next day. Okay, actually that's great. Although those questions I was going to ask is, is, does the routine stay the same every day? And and obviously it changes, you know, based on, uh, you know, getting in what you can. <clears throat> and here's the reason I now, I th it's the reason I recommend this sort of an approach to people, even though we haven't had all these injuries yet. Because runners always have these injuries. There's a reason you get with a group of runners and say plantar fasciitis and, you know, half the hands go up and piriformis and, you know, a third of the hands grow up and, mm -hmm. you know, these things. Um, a lot of problems that runners have with injuries, you know, a lot of the injuries I had, it took me a couple years to figure out exactly what was wrong. And I literally mean a couple years in a couple cases mm -hmm. to figure out what was wrong. And I tried to figure it out and I tried to do stuff to target exactly what was wrong. And I finally thought, What's wrong with this approach is that I'm trying to figure out exactly what's wrong. And anyone who's had an injury and gone to four doctors has gotten four different diagnoses. What I should be doing is trying to strengthen my entire leg. I should be trying to strengthen my hips. I should be trying to strengthen my quads and then, you know, my hamstrings, get the balance there. I should be trying to work my knees. You know, I should be trying to... Uh, remain, keep flexibility in my ankles, do exercises to keep all that nervous system wearing. Because if I can make sure everything's in balance and everything's working right, then I don't have to figure out what's wrong because it will take care of itself. And that's been my approach. And I've, uh, I've run far more injury-free the last five years than I did the five years before and uh, significantly more so than when I was young. Injuries wiped me out when I was young. I was one of those guys who had a lot of potential and did everything you know I could besides literally running into a brick wall to make sure <laughs> that it was realized. <laughs> we would have been, we would have been uh, bad training partners together. We would have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andy and I were those bad training partners. I still can't get him to change the way he trained that. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I've heard about, uh, you know, as, as runners transition into, as they get older, one of the things that I've heard that goes, goes first is, is speed in terms of that, that absolute speed and that power. Um, have you found that to be the case? And, and if so, you know, how do you, how do you cope with that challenge? Well, it's interesting you bring this up. I did another column on this very uh, topic. And one of the things I pointed out is that if you do a comparison of records, of like young American sprinters and mm -hmm. young American distance runners and then look through the ages, you know, as they get older, older, all the way up to like age 75 or 80, mm -hmm. you'll find that sprinters 
that master sprinter maintain a higher percentage of what they could run when they were young than masters distance runners. Distance runners actually lose their ability more than sprinters. Mm -hmm. Okay, well now this is, doesn't make a whole lot of sense because really when we start to atrophy with our muscle fiber, it's our fast twitch fiber that atrophies. Right. It's not our slow twitch fiber. You know, we can lose, you know, 1% of our fast twitch fiber per year. Okay, so why are sprinters who are supposedly atrophying <laughs> maintaining what they've got going better than us? Right. And here's the reason why. It's because distance runners don't like to do work for fast twitch fiber and intermediate twitch fiber, and most of them give it up. Most of them start thinking, hey, you know, I ran 80 to 100 miles a week when I was young. Okay, very competitive ones. If you weren't so competitive, I ran, you know, 30 to 50 miles a week. But the point is they go, and I did just fine. So that's what I like to do. I like to go out on my Sunday runs in the hills. I like to go out for my distance run with the gang every day. You know, I like to go out and commune with nature and have my mystical experience. But the problem is when you're doing that, you're working slow twitch fiber. And even on the, the longer runs that eventually recruit their way to intermediate fiber, you know, after you've like completed your slow twitch fiber, you still aren't working that much mm -hmm. of your intermediate. Okay, so what happens when you don't use it? You lose it. Okay? If you actually go out and work that intermediate and fast twitch fiber, you're going to find you don't lose as much speed as you thought you were going to lose. And if you look at some of the Masters runners who are, who are coming now, a guy like Nolan Shahidi. Now, okay, we get older, we get slower, okay? But Nolan Shahid ran a 425 mile at age 51, you wow. know? He ran, he just ran a, a 450 mile at age 61, okay? He's a guy who's worked speed the whole time. I've made speed a big part of what I do. And, you know, I was running, you know, when I was 46, I ran a 1434, 5,000. You know, that's off of, you know, you can't run those times off slow twitch. You have to have speed. Mm -hmm. And if you keep those workouts, and speed doesn't mean I'm going to go out and run some fast mile repeats. It means I'm going to go out and I'm going to run some hill sprints. It means I'm going to go out and I'm going to run some hard 200s or 300s. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's more about engaging the muscle fiber than it is about thinking about pace or whatever. But you have to go out and engage that muscle fiber. This afternoon, you know, I did a nice easy run this morning, and this afternoon I'm going out with my, you know, uh, my son, who's now an outside linebacker for College of the Canyons, and we're going to go run uh, about 70-meter hill sprints up a steep hill mm -hmm. up in the mountains, and then we're going to turn around and we're going to run 100-meter hard hill sprints down. Now, I'm going to finish about... 40 yards behind him. <laughs> but I'm going to be working the heck out of my fast twitch and my intermediate twitch. And because I do that, it's not going to atrophy. Study after study shows that even, I mean, they did a study that showed even 80-year-olds who took up a resistance training program could rebuild some fast twitch or could build up fast twitch. Mm -hmm. Now, once the fiber's gone, it's pretty much gone, but we can build up the mild filaments within the fibers. So if 80-year-olds can do it, we can do it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the loss of speed really has to do with how we train and not to do with the physiological process of shedding the fast twitch fire.
Right, right. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so glad to hear you say that because, you know, like I said, I work with a lot of masters athletes, and that's exactly how we approach um, approach things. Especially once, you know, for in terms of me working with them, they have, you know, I, I realize they have a sufficient base. Is we actually start to do a lot of speed development work, and one of the oh, yeah. thing, and one of the things that I find is that, you know, they're often very nervous at first, and 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 they ought to yeah. be because they haven't done it in for so for so long. You know, I say. Oh, we're going to do some 200s, and and you're going to run the last hundred absolutely as fast as you can, and and they kind of look at me like I'm crazy, you know, like, you right. know, and, but but that's how you know you slowly start building that process back, and and it's it's great for me to hear from from a masters runner, such an experienced uh, runner, that that you do the same thing, and that it, and that it worked really well for you, because obviously you know the results are speaking for themselves. So yeah, and and it's not just me, you know. One of the things. You know, a lot of my when I first started keeping a blog a couple of years ago, and then when I started writing for Running Times, I was always writing my secrets. You know, the training <laughs> secrets. And my competitors would go, you know, it's really nice that you're out there running fast, but but we're not quite sure why you're telling all, us all how to do it too. <laughs> I'm like, you know, my running, what I want to run, is not in any way, you know, disrupted or challenged by helping you to run faster. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, keeping people running well, keeping people, you know, fast gives me a peer group to train with. You know, what's racing if you don't have your peer group to be out there training with? And the fact is, you know, as soon as a couple of us are throwing down the gauntlet saying, okay, I know a lot of guys turn 40 and they run hard, but then we all fall off a cliff around 43 or 44 and we can't run anymore. Well, a few of us decided that wasn't going to happen. You know, and to be perfectly honest, Nolan Shaheed, who's 10 years older than me, laid down the gauntlet a long time ago. And we all said, well, you know, Nolan can do it. And, you know, when I first turned 45, the American record for the 5K, and I'm talking on the roads now, not on the track, but mm -hmm. the American record for the 5K on the roads was 15.07. And, um, you know, that was uh, for the age 45 to 49 age group. Okay. You know, within a couple of years, uh, uh, Dennis Simonitis had run 14.45. I'd run 14.49. Uh, another guy uh, just ran 14.49 uh, You know, if you sit down and go, you say, no, this doesn't have to happen. It happens when you give up because you think it's inevitable. You know, when you go, well, now it's time. Now I'm going to fall off the cliff. And we're proving you don't fall off that cliff. Like I said, I appreciate you talking to me and commending me on what I've done, but if I do it right, you know, and if I can get the message out, the times I'm running now, people will laugh at and go, what, that was considered good? <laughs> you know, I want the next generation to kick ass mm -hmm. other times. And I think they can, because a lot of what we're doing is trailblazing, you know, and it's funny how trailblazing has led us right back to the theories of training we should have been paying attention to when we were younger. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I actually wrote an article uh, about that for a competitor. Same, same idea, but oh, using okay. the, using high school athletes in the two mile as, as a comparison, um, uh -huh. and the same same idea in the sense that you know now that kids are. I mean, I look at the college times these days, and it's just crazy. And I, and I think about when I was in school about what was fast and what would qualify for the NCAA's, and I look at it now, and I'm like. You know that's just silly, but it's it's all about what's around you and, and the people that you're that you're competing against. And when somebody else goes and runs, you know, in your case, if goes and runs fourteen fifty, then you're like, oh, I can run fourteen fifty, and then you oh, run yeah. fourteen forty five, and and that's 
That's yeah. awesome, and that's how you continue to get better. Uh, you know, even as you get older. Oh yeah. No, I think that's how you get better when you're younger. Like you said, I think it's how you get better when you're older. Mm -hmm. I go to the Arcadia track meet every year, and every year they see how many you know high school guys right. they can get under nine minutes. Right. You know, and it's dozens. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, and, and in 1990, in, in the 1990s, there were like I think 22 total in in the whole decade that went under nine minutes. And now the Acadia meets, I think there's 22 in one race. They're pretty close yeah. to that. You know, I coached a high school kid, and and I love this guy, and and God bless him. I'm not I'm not trying to say anything negative, but he took sixth in the Southern California Masters meet, which is a championship meet of Southern California high school runners, mm -hmm. running 924, I think it was. You know, 924 doesn't get you out of league. <laughs> you know? Yep. No, and, I know what you mean. Uh, so uh, things have changed dramatically since the 90s. The 90s were a down period. Yeah. You know, things were pretty good in the, the 70s and a lot of the 80s. And, and I'm not sure what happened. I think we got away from some some basic principles and tried to get a little too fancy. Mm -hmm. the, the truth is, is that you know, running isn't it isn't all about doing lots of distance. It isn't all about doing speed. You know, it might be boring, but it's about doing all of it. Mm -hmm. You know, about doing volume. It's about doing strength work. It's about doing you know the longer intervals, the shorter intervals, no repeats, no run. It's about doing all of it and right. doing all of it enough to address all the aspects that go into being a good runner. Yeah. And I think we've gotten back on that track. Yeah, to put it in your words, to, to actually make a good cake, a good tasting cake that isn't full of just vanilla or just chocolate. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Or <laughs> a lot of salt. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so now that we're looking at history, I'll, I'll ask you the final question. Um, you know, if you could go back and tell your younger self one thing, and I, and I kind of have a feeling what this will be, but you know, what, what would you try to impart on your younger self that, that you wish uh, that you would have paid attention to when you were younger? As far as running goes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, would I have to have a talk with myself. You'd have to set aside a weekend, you know, rent a, a hotel, and I wouldn't let him out that door until I talked to him about 48 hours straight. Quite obviously, and, and I'm going to use a different word here that, that we haven't used before, although we've hinted at the whole way through. I would, I'm going to use two words. Maybe it'll be up to three in a while. You know the way inflation goes. Patience and confidence. Okay? Have patience. Let things happen. Don't, don't think that training, you know, when people, one of the things when people come to me, you know, as a coach, and they want me to help them train, they invariably say, you know, yeah, I've got a race in like three weeks, and I really want to do well with it. Mm -hmm. And what I always tell them is they say, well, now, it takes me about three months before I'm even ready to start training for something. It takes me about three months of preparation. I said, unless you're a whole lot better than I am, I just can't get you there any slower or any faster. Um, running isn't about this week. It's not about this month. It's not about this year. You know, good training is... It's a lifestyle. It's something when you look out in the foreseeable future, you have to say, that's going to be my lifestyle. It's going to be my lifestyle this year. It's going to be my lifestyle next year and the year after that and the year after that. You know, there are going to be ups, there are going to be downs, but I can see way over there. I can see the mountaintop. And I know that between here and that mountaintop, I'm going to have to ford some rivers and, you know, cross a lake 
and I'm going to have to climb a tree to gain my bearings, and I'm going to trip at some point and twist my ankle, you know, and I'm going to have to run from some wolves, and whatever I'm going to have to do, those things are going to come up. But I can see the mountain pup, and as long as I can see the mountain pup, I can get there, okay? So patience. The mountain pup's there. Confidence. I will get there. If I run into that stream, I'll find a way to get across it. If I see that lake, I'll cross it. You know, if I run into wolves, I'll get away from them. If I sprain my ankle, I'll recover. And when you see it in those terms, as something out there waiting to be grasped, you know, something you can see in the distance, and you understand that it's a long way from here to there. There is no, there is no shortcut from here to the top of that mountain, you know? Yep. Then you go, okay. Okay, now, now I'm patient. Now I can get there. And that's what I tell my younger self. My younger self thought if he wasn't where he needed to be in six months, then it could never happen. You know, God knows in high school, guys trained six months. You know, Jeff Nelson, uh, who I ran against in high school, and he's one of my good friends to this day. Jeff Nelson started training the, you know, the second half of his sophomore year. And by the time he was a junior, he was state champion. Mm -hmm. Two and a half years after starting running, he ran 8.30, what was it, 8.36? 836, yeah. Yep. You know, he held the record for 29 years. Okay, well, well, Jeff got there in two and a half years, and I haven't, then all is lost. What was me, <laughs> you know? And that's not the truth. You know, people get where they're going at different paces. And, you know, a lot of the runners will eventually become, you know, our, you know, our next Bill Rogers from back in my day or whatever. Mm -hmm. They didn't get there in two and a half years. They didn't get there in four and a half years. You know, it took a decade for them to get the fitness they needed. But they incrementally built, mm -hmm. and they got better. And the next year, they were a little better. And eventually, just a sec, I got to pop mm -hmm. up here. Wait. No problem. There we go. And eventually, if you stick with it, if you have confidence that you will get there, and if you enjoy it as part of it, you can't get too caught up in every little battle you know, then it's amazing where you can end up. I've never seen a runner train for two to three years without a break, you know, and the only way you can do that is not by doing stupid things. <laughs> but who can suddenly have a physiological revelation where their body changed, their body changed underneath them. Mm -hmm. You know, they, mm -hmm. where suddenly it's like, great, things just got easier. What happened? And the fact is, it takes that long. Yep. And you've got to believe it's going to happen. Yeah. It's the main thing. And it's hard to say, it's hard to believe when you aren't there. You know, but I still remember uh, 25 years ago, uh, my first head coaching job, you know, in high school, <laughs> and getting my athletes together on the first day. And I said, this is the most important thing I can tell you. I'm going to tell you to, I'm going to tell it to you right now. You have to believe you can win. Does everyone here think they can win? And none of them thought they could win. <laughs> but here's the thing I said, once you know, not believing, once you know you can win, whatever that is, winning is you know defined differently for different people. But once you know you can do that, then you'll do all the steps it takes to get there. Once you have the belief that that's there, you will do 
the distance. You'll do your recovery. You'll do your stretching. You'll eat right. You'll sleep right because you'll believe it's leading up to something you know can happen. And that's my message. It can happen if you do it right. That's that's phenomenal. That's that's the best answer. I, I ask that question to everybody that I interview, and that's probably one of the best answers I've, that I've had. <laughs> that, that's phenomenal. And I can provide it, but you know, like a lot of answers. It's the honest to God truth. Mm -hmm. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so you know, now that we're that we're going to wrap up here, how can people actually? Can we talk about your book coming up in August, or is that uh, is that too too far away? Does the publisher not want to talk about it yet? No, it's all fine. Okay. And, uh, You'll be shocked at the title because I haven't hinted at it throughout. It's okay. called Built Running Body. Okay. And um, and I'm actually I brought in two co-authors for it. One is Tom Schwartz, who is an exercise physiologist, goes by the handle on uh, the internet of Pinman. Mm -hmm. And the other is Melissa Breyer, who is uh, has a book out with uh, National Geographic on on food and is a green living advocate and she's going to handle all the nutrition and the, the food parts of the book. Melissa and I go back to high school. Uh, we uh, we weren't very athletic or actually post high school, right after high school, we weren't very athletic or nutritious in our goals back then. <laughs> Mostly about uh, red wine and jack in the box. But, <laughs> but we find it very fun that we have evolved into saner, healthier, fitter human beings at this day. She's running marathons and writing about, you know, nutrition and, you know, obviously I'm staying fit and if not quite keeping up to her standards of nutrition, you know, doing the best I can. But the book will do a lot of what I've talked about here. Instead of looking at training in traditional sense of, you know, mileage or or a workout just saying, well, let's do a tempo workout and it does all of these things. Mm -hmm. It's going to look at all the different parts of our running bodies, the muscles, connective tissue, uh, mitochondria, the nervous system. And it's going to say, here's this part of your running body. Here's what it does. Now, here are the workouts to train that part. That's awesome. So, that, sounds, that sounds fantastic. <clears throat> And you said okay. it's. And you said it's due. Oops, sorry. Am I? Uh, okay, we got it. Got it. Cool. Um, and you said it's due out in August. No, it's due to the publisher. Oh, due August. to the publisher. Okay. okay. Tracks uh, a few weeks back. The final book is due to the uh, publisher in August. It'll be out in spring of 2014. So you're going to have to wait a year. Oh, so I'm I'm totally teasing the podcast audience here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but great. Um, but how else uh, can people find you? I know you said you had an article on Running Times uh, or a, a column on Running Times. Running Times. So I've got a column in every month. Um, I believe the, it's still the January-February issue out of the newsstands. I have a feature article, The Dirty Dozen, 12 Mistakes Even Experienced Runners Make. And uh, that's out uh, right now. And like I said, i got a column out. My column, uh, I just turned in a column yesterday along with everything else I have to do, uh, uh, which is 10 things I hate about running. Nice. All right. I look forward to reading that one. Uh, come on. We all hate certain things about running. That's true. That's true. So uh, so we'll throw up some of those links to uh, to your to your running, running times column so people can check it out that are, that are watching the podcast. And... Um, Pete, I want to say thank you again so much for taking the time to uh, to, to chat with us. I, I I thought it was phenomenal. I hope I, I hope everybody gets the chance to listen to this because there is so much to learn, and, and I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom. 
Oh, it was a blast. I always <laughs> like talking to my running peers. Hey, without them, I got no score. Come <laughs> on, guys, get good. <laughs> so true. Well, thank you, Pete, and uh, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Okay, you too now. Thanks.